a lot of what to do about those pesky grizzly bears. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. gentlemen welcome to this episode of the western huntsman podcast this is jim huntsman the host coming at you from the broken time studio right here in hayden idaho and i'm going to tell you right now we're not going to be in hayden idaho for too much longer and i've had some people asking you know where are you going i'm just going to keep it a secret until we're there and once we're there the broken time studio new location will be announced but i'll I, i will tell you this I will tell you this, we're not leaving Idaho, so don't panic. We're still going to be in Idaho. (laughs) Just a little bit different spot, and uh, pretty excited and looking forward to that part. So, uh, guys, welcome to this episode. Uh, Thank you. There's a bunch of you new listeners out there. Uh, Hey, welcome to the Western Huntsman. As a platform, um, I do want to tell you guys, and I've explained this in the past before, but again, because we have a lot of new listeners kind of tuning in here, I want to let you guys know, uh, what the Western Huntsman is, uh, and and to also tell you, like I am not the Western Huntsman. My name is Jim Huntsman, and that was my kind of creative twist. My last name is Huntsman. It's got an old European connotation, definition of uh, something to do with hound hunting and just hunting in general. So I feel like it's just in my blood and my lineage. But I live in the American West, and I hunt in the American West, and I love the American West. So I thought, you know, why don't I name my platform and my show the Western Huntsman Podcast? And that's where it is, and our uh, our mission is pretty simple. Our mission is to essentially create and and build the passion for outdoors and hunting and fishing and conservation through stories and experiences and hunting tips and strategies and overall fundamental hunting conversations that happen here on the show to help drive a coalition of American outdoorsmen to help protect and fight against those that are against hunting. And that's the basic premise of this show. So thank you very much for, for being here. Um, I, I just really am looking forward to the future here and it, all the all the stuff going on here at the Broken Tan Studio, uh, things that are just rolling right forward, right in the middle of bear season, by the way. Uh, and so that's uh, that's been an adventure in itself, and it's looking like it's going to be a lot more of an adventure here in the next few weeks. Um, which, by the way, uh, I'm baiting bears, and it's, so if any of you are baiting bears and you haven't gotten your Baitum 907, guys, Jess over at Baitum 907 gave us a promo code for 10% off. Uh, it's in the show notes. It's Huntsman 10, and I don't get paid anything to tell you that. It's just a nice discount if you guys want some uh, attractants. Man, they work well, and the proof is in the pudding. It's all over the place out on social media, people getting bears uh, using this Baitum 907 stuff. So don't forget to, to check that out if you guys are in the market for something like that. I do have an, an announcement before we get to our guest today. 
that I want to talk about. Uh, he is a former guest from um, uh, a while back where this announcement, uh, not not the guest today, the, the announcement I'm making is from a friend of mine and a former guest on the show, Bill Gaines, who is a hunting activist and lobbyist uh, in the state of California. So you can imagine he stays super, super busy. But for those of you listening in, in California, we have actually uh, a pretty significant number of listeners and downloads coming out of California. So this is kind of for you guys. He sent me basically... Um, Hi, Jim. Uh, earlier today, AB1223 legislation, which would impose an additional 10% excise tax on the sales price of handguns and an additional 11% excise tax on the sales price of long guns, firearm parts, and ammunition sold in California. It passed out of Assembly Appropriations Committee, and it's off to the Assembly floor AB 1223 must be heard and passed off the assembly floor by Friday, June 4th. Because it proposes a tax, it needs a two-third vote to pass off the assembly floor. So basically what is he asking is there is an action alert that uh, he is hoping you California listeners will uh, take some action and, and basically contact your assembly representative and find out more information how to fight against this this kind of bill, this tax, this unnecessary tax that is basically an attack on firearms and, and gun owners. Uh, so you guys in, in California, see what you could do about getting a hold of your assemblyman and vote no. Let them know that you are against, as a voter, AB 1223. You need to contact your assembly member. You need to find out who your assembly member is in your area of California and reach out to them via phone call or email, whatever the case is, and tell them to vote no on AB 1223. You don't want to pay another bunch of money in taxes uh, just for being a gun owner, gun owner and and buying the ammunition and, and some of the parts necessary uh, to practice your Second Amendment right. Guys, this is this is important stuff, and I hope you take action on it. If I was in California, I'd be on this like a drunk on free peanuts and would not let this fly. So hopefully you guys are listening and you take action, get a hold of your assembly member, vote no on 1223. Um and uh, hopefully that thing gets killed because you guys have are up against enough in California. And also, you know, that stuff spreads to other states. So we're kind of counting on you guys to be the front lines, the tip of the spear on this type of BS uh, legislation that, that uh, none of us are fond of. So, um, guys, this episode, I am really happy about it uh, and really excited to introduce you to this guy. Ron Nijolik is... Down in Cody, Wyoming, Ron has been hunting for several decades, and he hunts in grizzly country. Uh, he hunts in anywhere, all western states. He hunts in Montana. He hunts in Idaho. He hunts in uh, Colorado. Uh, he even goes out to the Midwest like Iowa and chases big monster whitetails. But he's based and lives right there in Cody, Wyoming, which is, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Cody, Wyoming, but it's a beautiful part of the country. Uh, with some great outdoors activities and, and opportunities in that neck of the woods. Uh, it's a great spot, great spot. So check it out if you've never been there. Uh, not to crowd your town, Ron, but uh, it's cool. Uh, if you're traveling through Wyoming, make sure you hit up Cody because uh, you won't regret it. But anyway, getting back to it, Ron has decades of experience. He is one of those hunters that he's super humble. He's not going to sit and brag about everything that he's put a notch tag on. Uh, or anything along those lines, he's he's not real braggadocious that way. But don't mistake that 
for anything other than the fact that he's a humble guy because he is an absolute killer. And he was referred to me uh, by by Dirk the Bugler Durham uh, sent me a text message. He's like, hey, man, you should get Ron on your show and, and talk about this kind of stuff. So uh, I'm really glad he did because I've, I really enjoyed the conversation with Ron. He's a super genuine guy. He's an expert-level hunter. Uh, and what we really talk about, we spend a lot of time talking about hunting in grizzly bear country uh, because I, I think that that's an important topic, especially as we watch – these grizzly bear numbers continue to expand and the populations grow all over the western states, uh, well, particularly in places like Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana. Uh, and then for, for, you know, you Canadian and Alaska listeners out there, um, you know, w- w- we all have this grizzly issue that we need to be mindful of as we're out there hunting in grizzly country because I don't want anybody listening to this to be afraid to go hunting in grizzly country. You don't need to be afraid, but you do need to have an extra and added level of, of awareness and preparation and practice and, and a skill set that you don't necessarily need in other parts of the country uh, where grizzly bears just aren't an issue. But Ron has some wild stories that he shares on this episode and some really good tips on how to stay safe in grizzly country. And we talk about a few other things. And I, you guys are going to really like Ron. Uh, I do. I'd love to get him back on. And we're talking about he's got he drew a moose tag for this fall. And so he's going to go out and do do the moose hunt. And hopefully after hunting season is kind of wrapping up this uh, this fall, I'm going to get him back on. And we're going to do like a recap of a season and and find out how it went. But you guys if you're interested in learning from somebody who's been there, from somebody who's done that, this is the episode to listen to. And the last thing I will leave you with, guys, is if you are still, uh, we still have the public land t-shirts uh, that are for sale, the, the Don't Buck with Public Land t-shirts for sale at thewesternhuntsman.com. Uh, and that uh, half that money is going towards Sportsman's Alliance for this quarter. Uh, and I haven't even come close to the goal that we set. Uh, those t-shirts, they, they ship out quick. They're great. It's a great shirt. It's a great design by my buddy, John Gabriel. Uh, he helped me come up with it and it's a cool shirt for a really cool cause. So if you guys, uh, wouldn't mind dropping 25 bucks on a t-shirt, go to the westernhuntsman.com. It's going to go to a great cause and you're going to get a cool t-shirt out of the deal. And I obviously certainly appreciate that. So, um, with that, Let's jump into it with my new friend, Ron Nijolik. I hope I'm saying his name right. I think I am. I, I practice this one because <laughs> you guys know I'm famous for mispronouncing names. But Ron, uh, let's get into it with him. You guys are going to love it. Have a great week, folks. We got lots of good things coming. And good luck out there to you bear hunters. Here we go. line this week i've got ron nijolik i hope i said that right uh ron yep. how you doing my friend pretty good jim how are you i'm doing really good i'm super excited about this conversation you came highly recommended for uh getting on the show here from my buddy dirk durham and that, uh, he's always got a good recommendation well i i hope so i might question his judgment at this one but well you're not we'll the only one that questions that. dirk's dr- judgment i promise 
(laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Ron is down in Cody, Wyoming, and uh, he has just got quite the history of hunting. Uh, He's a big-time bow hunter, um, hunts a lot in grizzly country. We're going to kind of just touch on a little bit of everything. So, Ron, with with that said, why don't we kick this off? Give us a snapshot of your background. Uh, Tell us a little bit about you, and we'll uh, we'll just kind of take the conversation from there. Okay. Um, I grew up as a kid back in... Back east in Connecticut, kind of a rural area. Um, always came, come from an outdoorsy family, but a non-hunting family. In fact, I knew nothing about it and started getting interested. Um, reading my dad's field and stream outdoor life and mowed lawns and bought myself a bow when I was 14 and kind of never looked back. So you, in Connecticut... You're 13. You bought you bought a bow. Did you? What was it like? A lot of whitetail hunting out there? Or? <laughs> not not much. Um, it was rare to see a whitetail deer um, back in the 70s and 80s, and now they're pretty prevalent. But it was mostly rabbits and squirrels, things like that. Whatever could uh, I could loose an arrow at was a pretty fair target. And you were you were just telling me you hunted you hunted Idaho years ago. Um, and that was your last rifle hunt. So you're, you're strictly a bow hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I just really enjoy it, but I, I go with rifle hunters a lot. Just, I love to be outside. And, um, for me personally, it's, I have satisfaction with a bow, but man, I sure love going with, with people, whether they bow hunt, rifle hunt, whatever. I just enjoy being out. Good deal. So what, what brought you to Cody, Wyoming? We had family friends move here back in the 70s, and then when I was 14 years old, I came with an aunt and uncle and stayed in Cody, Wyoming for about six weeks, and, you know, basically the the summer and drove back with them, and then when I was a junior in high school, I bought myself a bus ticket and spent 50 hours on a Greyhound bus to Billings, Montana, and had an aunt and uncle pick me up, and I Spent summer here and worked and bought myself another bus ticket at the end of the summer and went back to Connecticut. Wow. And so, the, and then after, what, after high school, you decided Cody's your spot and, and you moved yeah, out? Yeah, I did. Yep. I did one year at UConn, focused on um, marine biology. And I don't know, it's kind of going the wrong direction, I thought. Mm-hmm. And my folks were ready for a, a life change. So, basically packed up and put everything that we had in a van and drove west and landed here with no jobs and uh, just aunt and uncle and friends and um, I don't know just made a home here and like I said I was ready to come here permanently when I was 14 so I was darn sure ready when I was 18. So when when you're a teenager and you're coming out to Cody, Wyoming, because what's interesting with this topic is I, I love Cody, Wyoming. I've almost moved there a few times. Um, it's it's like this this perfect central location for the the uh, northern half of the American West. And so uh, I've spent a lot of time in Cody. Um, I really like it. In fact, I, I had a picture that w- went like viral uh, years ago. When I was fly fishing on the Shoshone River outside of Cody there and had a grizzly mm-hmm. bear come down 
and uh, step on my tracks. As so <laughs> he was he was like spying on me while I'm fishing the river. And right. I, I want to say it was like early June or something like that because the deer were still in velvet. I was seeing deer and everything. So I guess my question is, is when as a teenager and you're you're growing up in Connecticut, what is it about somewhere like Cody, Wyoming that was a draw for you? Um, mostly the animals. I love wildlife. Sounds strange coming from a hunter, but I do. You <laughs> no, know, like it's most not hunters, strange. We, I think we're we all love, like that. We love wildlife. Yeah. And it's a renewable resource. And so, I don't know, bow hunting just kind of gets you closer to that resource and learn the animals really well. Um, so basically, I would say it's it's mostly the animals and then, oh, the, the country is another big draw for me. You know, grow, growing up and reading stories and seeing photographs of you know the mountainous west mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that's that's a huge draw for a country i guess a back east country kid like me is that little steakhouse on the uh kind of the west side of town there it was i think it was like a red building or something is that still there <laughs> cassie's yeah, yeah cassie's. cassie's nightclub that's the used one to be a broth used to be a brothel mm-hmm. way back in the day yeah that old building it's great yes. man i love that place i'd come to mm-hmm. cody just to go there <laughs> it's a good steakhouse <laughs> yeah love it no i love i love the area um i i haven't been there in a in a few years and so i'm hoping to get back down to cody because i i actually love the fishing around there uh but uh, someday i might get lucky enough and draw a tag and uh, I'll have to come and see you. So I, I just kind of yeah. wanted to, we were, we were talking about how you got into hunting and, and now you've been hunting, you know, for uh, however many years. And uh, this is, it's like the, the American story, right? You're, you're, you're moving from the East coast or, or back East out, out to uh, the, the wild West of Cody, Wyoming, which I imagine uh, you're talking maybe in the eighties is when you, when you moved out there full time. Yeah. Moved Cody in 82 and, Shot my very first deer with a bow in 1983. Been there ever since. So I yeah. and back then I imagine Cody was even more wild west than it is today. Oh, it was. You know, a lot of the uh, more rural roads going up in the mountains were unpaved then, and, and you know, it took significantly longer to travel places. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of me wishes that's still how it was, but I got to say, you know driving to an elk area or an elk hunt if you can get there in two hours and sneak in just a quick evening hunt um that that helps yeah oh for i don't sure. mind the paved roads so much then yeah for sure i think there's always that part of it in all the towns you know especially out here in, in the west they they like grow up it's not like uh, back east or in the south, sometimes where the where the towns, I mean, there's always growth, right? But it doesn't yes. it doesn't bloom and it doesn't just explode like some of these western towns. I know Sheridan is has really gone up population wise, and you know when you're talking about Cody and Bozeman, Montana, and Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and all these places, it's just not what it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. But uh, yeah. still beautiful, still happy to be here, it man. Is. Still so, beautiful, and I tell you what, right now this this town, this area is just growing by leaps and bounds. All the, I guess the left coasts or what I call them are, are coming <laughs> here in, in droves just to escape to somewhere a little more normal and natural. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yep. I, that's the, that's the common theme. Um, 
Well, well, shoot. This is I, I don't even know exactly where to take this uh, because they're like the elephant in the room always when you're talking about Cody Wyoming is grizzly bears. And I thought it might be cool because uh, you, you'd mentioned it, telling us some grizzly stories, hunting in grizzly country, um, you know, and, and just a discussion around grizzly bears because it, that's been kind of a hot topic lately. And we're, you know, we're ta- watching this, these populations of grizzlies there. It's growing rapidly. Um, and there's all this litigation to keep them on the endangered species list. And, you know, they find these judges that, uh, well, you know, the story, you know, the drill, everybody listening knows the drill. Um, same thing happened with wolves. Um, what's it like living in Cody with the grizzlies and, and like the, the situation? Cause you're just, for those folks that don't know, Cody, Wyoming is kind of like the Northwest corner of Wyoming, just outside of the Yellowstone national park. And, um, what are those, the Absorca Mountains? Am I saying yeah. that right? Yes, Absorca. And, and that, that, that highway from Cody to Yellowstone, uh, I want to say it was like Theodore Roosevelt talked about how it was, or maybe, was it Theodore Roosevelt? Maybe it was, um, I can't remember, but it was like the prettiest 50 miles he'd ever traveled yes. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yep. And that is, lots of you know old volcanic rock in the area. Mm-hmm. And then probably a more scenic place um, than that would be driving from like Cook City, Montana, up and over the uh, Beartooth Mountains to Red Lodge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's just a little loop you can take from Cody and you head northwest towards the northeast entrance of the park and then uh, just hook a right when you get close and hit highway. 212 and and head up over the Beartooth Mountains. Road goes up to 11,000 feet there. Um, Extremely Mm. scenic. Wow. I I don't know. I don't think I've ever taken that loop. That'd be cool. I advise everybody in the country to go take that drive. Not if you're scared of heights. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of cliffs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's just, uh, it's not so bad on the uh, the Cook City side, but going over the top down to Red Lodge is, you know, it's pretty steep and uh, yeah. going down is always worse than up. And uh, anyway, it's just super scenic, lots of switchbacks. Um, cool. So, yeah, anybody gets a chance to do that, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'd love to. I'm I, I'm going to take you up on that. So what Heck about, yeah. tell some, uh, give us a little bit of grizzly uh, wisdom uh, since you're in that area. Because I, I know I get the question a lot on my show. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you recommend for hunting in grizzly country and what kind of firearms you use and how do you do this? How do you do that? And my problem with answering that is where I live, we have grizzly bears, but not to the level that you guys do. Like, I don't worry about running into them very often. Uh, they're out there, but give us your take. Yeah, here it's, you know, in the last 30 years or so, the population has expanded quite a bit. Um, there are bears in country where we've just never seen them before you know they used to hunt grizzly bears here back in the 60s and 70s um and then of course you know what stopped that and Mm -hmm. it's been that way ever since and the population just keeps growing so we've had to adapt along with it i mean the grizzlies were always here but it was rare that you ran into them you know in 70s and 80s unless you were back deep in the country um but but now it's it's really, if you're outdoorsy around Cody, um, you're in the mountains at all, or sometimes even the desert habitat, you will run into grizzly bears. Do they ever come down into town? 
Um, you know, they have. There was there was one or two that got trapped close to town last year. And so far, they've just been on the fringes. We get black bears in town, seems like, every couple of years or so. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Cody's Cody's not that big, I guess, 10,000 people. But it's it's still pretty funny when you get black bears that, that wander in and camp out in somebody's yard or climb one of their trees and take a nap. They're going to Cassie's, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they want a steak. <laughs> I can't blame them. Yeah. And, and, uh, and mountain lions as well. They come into town and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they have a pretty tame resident deer population to pick on. So we get those pretty regular. Gotcha. Well, when you're, so when you're out there and you, cause I've, I've been reading on forums for some kind of your neck of the woods hunting Wyoming. Um, people are talking about, okay, especially like the rifle hunters, uh, mm-hmm. the, the grizzly will, they'll hear a shot and that is like ringing a dinner bell and you've got to get to that animal super quick, uh, quarter it out and get it off the mountain as fast as possible because those grizzly bears are going to be on that. And they're, you know, pretty deadly accurate as to where they know the shot came from and where it impacted and all that kind of stuff. Is that true? Absolutely true. Yep. They, they do come to things like that but just normally out of curiosity they follow us a lot and we don't even know it there you know there's no gunshot involved but those bears have learned through the years that if they you know follow people around in the fall a lot of times it leads to a reward um so yeah i would say hunting in grizzly country to me isn't all that threatening. I mean, you got to be aware and I've had to pull spray and gun um, plenty of times and, and do it really quickly, but it's, it's when you're hunting and you have an animal down um, that seems to be um, where most of the issues arrive, um, especially in the fall, the bears are in hyperphagia and, and, you know, they're just looking for any food source at all. Um, so they're following you, you get something down and you aren't paying attention. You're taking photographs and getting the animal ready to, to skin and break down. Um, that's, that's where a lot of stuff, um, goes south. Um, then especially if you have to, you know, if you leave and pack out one load and, and you're returning to the site, um, that's probably even more dangerous. Do you, do you usually, if you're, let's say you're, you just got an elk down and you quarter it out. Um, are you taking that, those, uh, those meat bags uh, away from the carcass and hanging them in a tree to come back and get them? Or how, how do you work that to be safe? Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we do. I hunt a lot solo. Um, I just prefer it that way. You, You know, you just make every decision your own. You can, change your mind 50 times a day while you're hunting and it doesn't affect anybody else and you don't mm-hmm. have to talk to them about it. Um, but it is sure nice to have somebody around once you get something down. So if I'm by myself, you know, it's just a lot of times you put your head down and you go to work for five seconds and then you lift your head up and look around and, and then keep doing that over and over and, until you're done. And yeah, I always carry the, the quarters um i would say at least 100 yards and when i'm solo i'm not hanging them up in a tree usually i will find some branches that i can um put up in and and get some air around them or if nothing else if 
you know, trees are around with low branches like that, then I'll find a down log and I'll just stack these, not stack them, but lay the, the meat bags on top of the log for when I return. Then I can, you know, if, if they're gone or one or two of them are missing, then I know I have a potential problem. But as you know, I always try to set it up so I can see those bags, whether they're in a tree or on a down log, um, that I can see them for from some distance away. Hmm. And that's has that's kept you pretty safe over the years with with the Grizz and how, um, like what kind of run-ons have you had with them? It has. Um, I was actually in our hunting camp. Had a, another friend. Uh, uh, dad and his son, about my son's age, early 30s, um, they were out in the morning in this one spot, and and the son had arrowed an elk. Um, didn't it was hard to tell in the light or however it was. Everything happened quick. He wasn't exactly sure where he hit, um, but he thought it might be back. So they left the area, you know, marked it on their GPS, came to camp, and we decided to go back that afternoon. So we we did. We left camp and we started on the Elks Trail about three o'clock and it hadn't gone like a couple hundred yards and found it piled up. So mm-hmm. he was pretty happy. It was his first bull with a bow. Um, so we we set into taking photographs and all the time we're doing this, we can hear Elk View go in. And finally, his dad was like, <laughs> well, you guys can work here because there was there was four of us, two youngsters and two of us old farts. And uh, so he took off to go after an elk um, that wasn't that far away. And so now we had three of us there and we're making noise. We had, you know, done lots of photos, peed all around. And, and uh, anyway, we, we got into skinning the elk, taping it out. And we just had finished one side when we heard a bugle pretty close. Well, the kid that shot the bull, he, he just looked up and said, there it is. And then he's like, no, it's a grizzly. Anyway, oh, by the time, yeah, we look up and it's a, we see him, we see bears all the time. Um, we actually hunt the same country that they live in. So anyway, we, uh, we scrambled and we had made a mistake. None of us were ready. Um, we just figured the, the noise we were making and the scent we had left around, nothing's coming in but you just you can't figure that um and that was my fault i had two youngsters there and and i just let my guard down so all of us are scrambling and this grizzly is close and her her cubs i don't know if they were two or three years old but they usually kick them off after two but these are awfully large cubs so they might have been three-year-olds anyway by the time we scrambled um and grabbed our packs because all of our we had bear spray and it was on our pack belts it wasn't on our person mm. which anybody listening to this you get an elk down you make sure that spray or gun is on your body and not on your pack set off to the side um so anyway we just barely got out of there i don't know why she didn't come in swinging or charging in because by the time i grabbed my pack and I stepped over the log that it was against and tried to get some distance. She was only 15 yards. Um, and they came in the same trail that we had tracked the elk. So she was smelling the elk blood, but she was also getting plenty of human scent. And they just don't care. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I use the 25% on the elk. You know, I, I think that, oh, probably... 
25% of the bears are good. If they hear people, if they see people, smell people, they go the other direction. Whether they run or walk away is anybody's guess, but a lot of them do walk. And then there's, you know, 50% right in the middle that are, they just don't care about people. And if there's a food source, they're going to come in and get it. And then there's 25% of the bears that are just assholes. You know, they're looking for conflict all the time, it seems like. They do not care. You can wave your arms. You can yell, scream, do whatever. um, And they just keep coming. So Hmm. it's a a tough deal. But we snuck out and got to about 40 yards away in a little clearing. And uh, we could barely see the elk through the through the trees. But we can see we could see the rack just bouncing all around as they were tearing into that thing. So we yelled and threw rocks and. She charged us a couple of times. I had a hard time getting those kids to stand their ground. Like, don't run, don't back up. Just have your spray out and be ready. And then we had the added trouble where the kid's dad was not very far away going after elk. And as soon as he, he, you know, shot an elk or failed, he was going to come walking back to that dead one. And he was going to walk into a lot of trouble. So we started hollering and banging on trees and telling him we don't hunt with radios, but you know, we're yelling for him not to walk back in there. Anyway. So he circled around above where the elk was and all of our screaming and banging on trees, uh, making noise had actually moved the bear off the carcass, which surprised me. And he walked smack into her and got charged twice and had to spray the second time. And yeah, it's pretty exciting. Anyway, it's exciting. <laughs> yes, yeah, since uh, since she left the elk temporarily with all our um, noise we were making, when he came back and into the situation, he ended up right at the elk carcass. So we ran in there, and um, we could still hear the bears; they were there. Um, anyway, we decided to just leave and, and get the rack at a later date, huh. since they had already pretty much claimed it. And by law, that's what you're supposed to do in Wyoming, anyway. If a bear claims the carcass, it's theirs. You don't get another license or anything, but you are not supposed to, I guess, go into this situation looking for a conflict to try to salvage your elk. I guess I guess the thought there is uh, you're you just kind of get as dangerous of a situation it is. Just leave it. Let the bear have it and get out of there. huh? Huh. Mark it and get out of there. If you know if you're a resident, then you shouldn't have too much trouble going back at a later date and picking up the antlers if you so choose. But yeah, there's, there's just not a lot you can do in those situations other, other than leave. Hmm. I, I got a, I got a kind of an odd question here. So Uh when you moved to Cody, Wyoming as a young man and uh, you're, you're getting into hunting, there's grizzly bears in the area then probably not nearly as many as there are now, but were there some old timers there in town that were there during when it was legal to hunt grizzly, and uh, did they did they talk about maybe the difference in the way that the grizzly bears behaved, having uh, a, you know a nemesis or whatever you want to call it, you know a hunter that came after them, and and the way they behaved then versus the way they behave without any kind of predator? Um, sure. 
Does that make sense how I'm asking that? Yeah, it, it does makes perfect sense. Um, you know, there there may have been as many encounters, but that was probably, you know, just in those meat salvage type situations. Um, they're just, and, you know, once in a while you'd hear stories of somebody getting mauled or killed, but they were a lot less frequent than what we have now. And I think it's just because the bears have gotten habituated to um, basically doing whatever they want with no repercussions on them. That's kind of what that's kind of what my thought is. I was I had a conversation with uh, a Dr. Valerius Geist uh, oh. last last fall, and he was talking about the difference between wolves in North America that have been hunted and pursued and trapped for for years. We're talking from Canada to Alaska to you know the the lower 48 area. And, uh-huh. and and you contrast that with the wolves in like Russia and Europe and those areas where there has never really been a, an active hunting. Um, you know, they they haven't been pursued like they had on the North American continent for for years and years, and that's why there's a big difference between how wolves behave there and how aggr- aggressive they are with humans versus how aggressive the wolves are here in the on the North American continent, which essentially is not to say that they don't get aggressive periodically. In fact, I just read a story this morning of uh, somebody who was mauled by a grizzly up in Canada, or not a grizzly, a wolf up in Canada, a lady, uh, but it sounds like she's going to survive. Anyways, yep. it's it's just a lot less frequent than it is on the, you know, in Russia and or, or in other parts of Europe. If you're anything like me, hunting is a year-round thing for you, and we're always thinking about how to make our next upcoming season a little bit better, and one way to do that is with gear. And you guys know I'm not a big gear junkie, but I do have some important gear items that I'm always a huge fan of, and they're right here available on this show. Let's talk about Scree gear. Scree is my go-to camo. Scree is high-performance hunting attire and gear, scientifically tested camo patterns, and all backed by a great company, and I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't truly believe in the Scree product. They've got a complete layering system for all terrain and conditions, gear designed to adapt to the weather, it's rugged gear, it's got a lifetime warranty, VIP sizing and exchange program, you can't go wrong with Scree. Get the best out there without breaking the bank, and to make it even better, use promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Hell of a deal. Check it out at ScreeGear.com. Next on the list is my oldest and fondest sponsor of the show is Phelps Game Calls. One thing I love about companies like Phelps Game Calls is the American success story that came out of it. And Phelps started in Jason Phelps' garage years ago, and it's now one of the premier hunting call companies on the market. And I wouldn't point you in that direction if I didn't feel like they were the best calls available. Jump on phelpsgamecalls.com. When you find a call you like, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. I promise you, you will not regret it. Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots is a go-to boot company I've been using for years and years and years. And the cool thing about it is I'm only on my second pair of Hoffman Explorers. I put lots of miles on my Hoffman Explorers. They're a great boot. They're not going to cost you a small fortune to get. And they have all the same guarantees and warranties that every other company out there has. If you want to be confident, guys, do not skimp on boots. Go to HoffmanBoots.com. 
get you a pair of, I, I, for, for me, I like the 8-inch Explorers, but they also have the 6-inch. They have all sorts of different options. Check it out at hoppinboots.com and use promo code HUNTSMAN10, all caps lock, for 10% off. And last but not least is Tacticam. Are you interested in filming your hunt? And are you interested in helping with conservation efforts throughout the uh, North American continent? Well, then I got a deal for you. Tacticam is a point of view type kind of camera that records in 4G. They also have other products like the film through scope, the FTS, and you attach that to your rifle scope and you can film your shot right there. And they have the mounts for your shoulder, for your head. They can, You can mount it to your bow. You can mount it to wherever and whatever you want. Lots of versatility with the Tacticam. Other products include, but are not limited to, the fisheye camera. The Tacticam Spotter LR is definitely worth a look if you want to film what you're seeing through your glass while you're actively hunting and get it on camera. It's a great thing. But I think that the thing that I'm most excited about with Tacticam this year is the new Reveal uh, cell cam that is coming out. This kind of this trail camera <clears throat> will send you images in real time as they're coming in. They've got like an enhanced antenna for better service. If you're like managing property or something like that, or you've got a bear bait set up somewhere that you have phone service, you can get those pictures right there to your phone. This uh, cell cam is super, super cool. I'm really excited about it. And you can get all this at the westernhuntsman.com forward slash gear. Go to the gear shop. You'll find all the Tacticam stuff right there. Uh, best pricing out there on it. And uh, what happens is we split the uh, profitable revenue from these sales of the Tacticam gear and half of it goes to conservation efforts, uh, which vary depending on what quarter of the year it is. Right now we're raising money and trying to get some money over to Sportsman's Alliance. It's a great cause, and that is what's going to go down when you shop for Tacticam gear at thewesternhuntsman.com. So go over there and check it out and get you a camera. Guys, let's get back into it. I sure appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, while you're, we're talking about wolves, if you want to hear crazy story i got a good one for you yeah man <laughs> so last spring this the same i call him a kid but you know in his 30s mid 30s um he and i have a lot of the same interests so we're always out you know screwing off together and um hiking hunting um but a big passion of ours is antler hunting you know specifically for elk mm-hmm. so uh last spring there's one spot we like to go to um it's just kind of a beast to get to um pretty pretty darn remote in fact we hike seven miles before we even start looking before we're in a area i guess to look for elk sheds so we we did this hike had our backpacks on and we got to the seven mile mark this little clearing and we we dropped camp set it up and uh just a little tiny kuyu tent that's pretty much good for one person but we're going to cram two into it so we, we dropped camp, set that up, you know, just took the basics from there and split up and we horn hunted the rest of the day and, and met up back at back at camp. Well, we got there and the tent was demolished. Um, a oh, grizzly, had, grizzly had come around and, and screwed it up. You know, he just tore into it, broke the poles, ripped everything. Um but thankfully, he didn't rip up the sleeping bags. He's just doing bear stuff. They're curious, and they like to screw with things. So mm-hmm. 
Anyway, he had uh, bit my buddy's wife's um, Kuyu sleeping bag, which are pretty pricey and, and pretty nice. But so we had all kinds of bear slobber all over and um, he bit holes in the sleeping bag, but he didn't tear it up. So anyway, we just we took down the what tent was remaining and just laid out on the ground and all sweaty from hiking and stuff. So Adam, he he set his his backpack up against this rock and that's you know i had mine there too it's really close to where we were sleeping um then he hung his shirt up just spread it out in the sagebrush along with his socks well i threw mine in my sleeping bag to to dry them out because i've had to do that in alaska quite a bit so anyway so we just not much to do had to have a little bit of dinner and and you know went to went to sleep well i don't sleep very sound when i'm in the woods so i i wear earplugs so i can't hear a mouse fart or anything yeah. um basically it gives me gives me a little bit better sleep so well sometime during the night I, you know i could hear wolves howling and they were they were pretty close um so i just you know listened for five minutes or so and just went back to sleep next thing i know i hear adam hollering get out of here get out of here and sat up reaching for a gun trying to pull out my earplugs and right about then his headlamp came up on and there's a damn wolf standing right next to him like i'm talking 10 feet away oh wow and uh he's like and his headlamp's right in his eyes and he's just standing there looking it's not a huge wolf but it's an adult mm-hmm. um so he says get out of here one more time and the wolf took off, but he grabbed grabbed Adam's boot first. <laughs> as he's running away, Adam, you know, because it's a rough seven mile hike to get there. Uh-huh. Lots of rocks in these mountains. So Adam, <laughs> he screams, he's got my fucking boot. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought the wolf disappeared. He didn't have a shot. Well, the wolf only went like 20 yards and was standing there out in the sagebrush. And I had a shot at him, so I racked one off. And... Anyway, the muzzle blast blinded us. We couldn't. We didn't know whether I hit him or not, but yeah. we're not. We're not that good at shots anyway. So we uh, got up, stomped in our boots, and went looking around out there. And we uh, we didn't we didn't find any sign of that I hit the wolf, but we did find both backpacks. So that wolf had come in into camp and drug off both packs, and we didn't wake up. I blame that on Adam. I had earplugs. He didn't have an excuse. Um, so he grabbed both backpacks and hauled them out in the sagebrush and then came back. Um, and what woke Adam up was the wolf sniffing his face. Oh, um, yeah, pretty wild. So he, he thought, you know, he woke up thinking there's a freaking bear um, sniffing at his face. That's why he, why he started hollering. Anyway, but it was the it was the dang wolf. Um, and the, <laughs> Did he get his boot? He, yeah, the the Adams pack was exactly five feet from his head, um, and he never heard the wolf either carry it or drag it off. That's crazy. So it, was a, it was really crazy. So anyway, we we went back to sleep after a bit, and I woke up in the morning first. I stomped into my boots and started looking around and clearing for any kind of a blood trail or any sign that I hit the wolf and there was none. But on my walk, I found Adam's socks that he had propped up, (laughs) laid out on top of a bush. You know, he didn't even know they were gone. 
So I started laughing because the wolf had chewed a hole in one, um, oh, basically chewed the ankle out of one of the one of the socks. So it just got funnier for me because um, <laughs> he didn't have any spare socks, so he was going to have to wear those. And so we we get going for the day, and we split up um, hiking around. And anyway, we got. I guess we met back up. It was sometime around noon, so we had been hiking for five hours or so. And uh, Adam just looks kind of dejected. You know, we both found a few antlers, nothing, not a lot, but we meet up and he shakes his head. He's like, dude, I think the wolf pissed on my shirt. <laughs> and he, he kind of held his arm out and I sniffed and it was so rank. It was, it was unreal how much it stunk. And anyway, he, when he put on his shirt in the morning, he didn't really think about that or notice it. He just thought yeah. it was wet from sweat or wet from frost from during the night but as his body warmed up the scent started you know the stink started getting worse and worse so anyway that just made me laugh more that the wolf had pissed on his shirt and so took his uh, boot. yeah took his boot and chewed his sock up <laughs> so we start we start hiking back to camp because we're gonna pack up and and head back out we kind of hit the country that we wanted to and so as we're coming into the little clearing where camp is we're talking and we come out in the open and there's the wolf and he's just standing there. I got about 40 yards, a little, not a little one, but you know, medium sized black wolf. And, you know, we're both like, there he is, you know, and, and start getting our pistols because we're still pissed at him. Well, all of a sudden, he just, he trots, you know, really weird behavior. He trots towards us and he gets to like that 20 yard mark. And, you know, he's just got this curious look on his face, like, Hey, what's up guys. Uh-huh. Anyway, the pistols come out and we escorted him out of that clearing. Just sounded like a gunfight, but <laughs> it was it was just such a surreal experience. Um, but talking, I called the game warden when we got out that night and, and told him the story. Um, anyway, you mentioned about wolves and getting habituated to people. Um, this was most likely a wolf from one of the packs goes in and out of Yellowstone. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Yellowstone is definitely not a natural ecosystem. Uh-uh. Um, anyway, it's this wolf or this pack. They've been habituated to people inside the park. And for whatever reason, that winter, they moved outside the park, that winter and spring. And that's that's when we ran into them. Um, yeah. So he said they, they've been causing trouble with the local ranches and stuff and had a like a shoot on site order from the ranchers had to go ahead to, to shoot them if they got too nasty with stuff. So anyway, it just made us feel a little bit better, I guess, that it wasn't like a total wild wolf that came in and did that. Yeah, that probably uh, it just made a little more sense. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. They're, they're probably in the park, spent their life in the park. And figured out that campers have goodies in their bags and and things like that. It's it's super funny that he took the boot for some reason for me. I had this <laughs> I had this golden retriever years ago named Charlie, and I, I I was up camped somewhere and and had him with me. Uh, and I woke up in the morning. I had no idea anybody else was around. I thought I was out on this kind of in this area uh, totally alone. Wake uh-huh. up in the morning and uh, my my golden retriever Charlie had somehow acquired four sets of shoes and they were just sitting there in my camp. And I'm like, where in the world did you find these shoes? And he's all proud of them. So I put them in this bag 
pack up my camp and I'm driving around looking for anybody else. And finally, uh, I don't know, about a mile away, found found this family kind of camped um, in a tent trailer. But they had, uh, I think, I think mom had made them all leave their shoes outside, and my sure. dog had found those and had made multiple trips back and forth to that from that camp to my camp, bringing those shoes back as a trophy or something. So it's just funny that the wolf, uh, right. the, the wolf story is grabbing your boots like that and the packs. That's just crazy, but it makes sense if they're close to the, the park. So, right. Yeah. Hey, we, uh, there's one other story, you know, add on to that. Um, anyway, I told the game warden the thing that night and he let me know that they're probably wolves out of the park, part of a pack that had gone out, mm-hmm. but, you know, as far as them picking on Adam's stuff, we figured out it's probably probably because he had four dogs um, at his place at oh, the time. So yeah. the wolf was picking on his stuff way more than mine. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. the next the next morning, Adam he called me and says, "Dude, you need to check your backpack." He said that wolf pissed on mine. He hadn't noticed it. Um, the day before when we hiked out because his shirt stunk so bad, he wasn't even thinking about his pack. But so he got home and he threw his shirt in the laundry, but he had left his pack in his truck and the morning sun heated up his truck a little bit. And when he went out to get in, get in there, um, I guess the stench was unreal. So. Anyway, so yeah, the wolf <laughs> pissed on his shirt, pissed on his pack, chewed a hole in his socks, took his boot. It was pretty flipping funny as far as I was. It had it out for your buddy, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. And I know, you know, he put it out on social media. Some people are like, well, the lesson I learned is not to camp with Adam. So anyway, it's just, it's just a, pretty funny. That's pretty solid, solid advice right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we, we have, you know, I guess not quite a few stories that good, but we just have run-ins with predators, you know, all the time. So in your in your opinion, what what is the thing that you worry about the most? We've talked about wolves and mountain lions and grizzly bears, and I know there's black bears out there, but uh, is there? Do you have like what do you worry about the most? Um, my back. <laughs> I don't. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I don't have fear of the of the predators. I guess. You know, I guess the biggest concern is being alone and getting an elk down. Um, you can't have your head on a swivel. Like when there's two of us, one guy just holds while the other guy cuts yeah. and skins and, and does all that. But the guy holding, he, he gets to look around. But when you're by yourself, um, you don't have that. So you're always hearing little things and you know, going for your gun, going for your spray. Um, it's just, yeah, that is probably the, the biggest concern I have is having an elk down when I'm by myself. Yeah, I could see that. And and the thing with being, cause I, I'm like you, I hunt solo most of the time and, mm-hmm. um, it, that you kind of get in your head some, sometimes if you know you're in an area where there's grizzlies or, you know, whatever the case, for some reason, mountain lions always make me a little nervous because they're so freaking sneaky. Um, I, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm like, I don't have like some big fear, uh, but I do sometimes you get in your mind when you're alone, you know, especially when it's sun's going down, it's getting dark and all this fresh meat sitting right there. It's like, man, I don't know. But, um, 
I, I kind of want to talk about, uh, this is always a, a fun topic for me with when we're talking about grizzlies and hunting in grizzly country, because, um, you know, and I even had, I had my buddy, Bob Lagasa, he was on uh, the show a couple times last year and he was, he was actually mauled by a, a grizzly bear, um, up a, just North of you on the Montana side. And, uh-huh. uh, the, the question that always comes up is uh what's what's your preference do you are you more of a a bear spray guy or are you more of a a sidearm guy well a hundred percent i was a bear spray guy until about three years ago Uh um and it's just because i've I've been carrying spray for a long time and i was super confident about getting it into action quick that and it's lighter than packing around the pistol Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I've, I've pulled it and used it a few times, um, good results as far as what I, what I've had done, but what made me switch to a pistol was when my son was going to come archery elk hunt. Um, and I just was thinking if a bear somehow has him down, what am I going to do? Um, and personal preference then became, I'm going to have a gun and it's going to hold, you know, 16, 17 bullets in it. And mm-hmm. one I can just keep pulling the trigger. And, but mostly it was m- my son hunting with me that made me switch. Well, that's interesting. You brought that up because that's exactly what happened to, to Bob. I was just telling you about, he, he had a hunting partner with him, him and his pal, and they've been, they've been hunting together for years and years and years. <laughs> Uh, the grizzly bear had Bob down and on the ground and, uh, actually ended up getting sprayed by the grizzly spray from his friend who was spraying the bear. Uh-huh. And so on top of the wounds he had to get off the mountain, uh, he also had been sprayed in the face. And then when they were, they were trying to get out of there, uh-huh. they sprayed, I, I can't, I can't remember exactly how that Bob's going to probably call me if he, if he listens to this and, and correct me, but one of them was putting the bear spray away so they can get off the mountain and the damn thing went off again and sprayed one of them in the face. So, yep. um, and, and so that's, I mean, I mean, there's just, there's like, I, everybody wants to have like my uh, my opinion as if I have a hard stance on one or the other. But what what people don't realize when they're asking me this question, I've never been attacked by a grizzly bear, so I don't I don't have the answer, right? I've never had to spray a grizzly, uh, I've never had to shoot a grizzly, I've never I've never like encountered one that was coming at me, you know. And right. so I don't know. I actually uh, carry both. I'll I'll have I'll have the spray. And, uh, and then I carry my pistol as well. But my thought is, is I'll I'll at least stop or slow down the bear enough with the spray that I can get the pistol Mm -hmm. out and get a decent shot. And so that's, that's what I recommend, but it only comes from uh, a dude that maybe drank too much whiskey around the campfire one night and came up with that (laughs) idea. You know, there's no experience behind it. Right. (laughs) So, you know, it all, it all sounds great when you're drinking whiskey and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, having beers around the campfire and and telling stories. But when push comes to shove, you've got, you know, one or two seconds typically to not only make up your mind, but get it into action. And that's, I personally, like I said, I'm, I'm confident with bear spray for me. Um, but the fact that, I'll be hunting with my son and occasionally hunt with my nephew and my buddy thinking about, um, cause it's very realistic, um, having a, a bear situation where he does get somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I want that option of running up to him and just being able to pull the trigger 
several times. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And again, I know that, you know, there's arguments out there that Grizzlies, you know, it's a proven fact that if a gun is used, there's typically a higher incidence of um, the bear mauling that that person than if the spray was used. Yeah. But like I said, I just I just I'm not a I'm not a runner. I don't run from bears. I'm pretty confident standing my ground. Um, I guess I should um, contradict myself there. I did run once and that's when I was sneaking on black bears. Um, I found one eating a dead beef cow and he waddled away right at the last minute across like a hundred yard clearing before I got there. And so I thought, well, she, there's a big rock I can hide behind because like in a sagebrush, but down in a deep canyon. Mm-hmm. So I, I can just sit here. I'm 20 yards. That barrel come back in. Well, as it got later and later and darker and darker, I heard um, twigs snap across the clearing. I thought, oh, he's coming. And then some more twigs or, you know, you just hear him moving. Um, and it was circling a little bit. And at the last minute before it came into view, I'm like, man, I hope that's not a grizz. And it was. And he came out of the woods and, and kind of looked around and growled and ran right at me. Like, what did he as smell? fast as he could. He was like, um, it was like he was charging in there and he was making a lot of noise. And he hit, and I just, I still had an arrow on the string. Um, my rangefinder was out and I took off and ran like a freaking gazelle. And <laughs> I made it. I made it literally like 10 to 20 yards and I heard him hit the creek, this huge splash right before he got to that cow. And I just dropped and I whipped out my bear spray and I'm on my knees waiting for him to come get me. Um, he didn't. I saw him kneeling and it's getting dark. I'm like, Where the hell is he? And then I could hear him start eating. And this is a large grizzly and he's eating on a beef cow 30 yards from me. And if I make any noise or he sees me, he's going to come neutralize the threat, yep. you know, to his food source. So I just crawled. Um, I couldn't stand up because he could see me. There's a little rise there. And I crawled for probably 100 yards till I got to the base of where the cliff was. And then I stood up and I just hauled ass up to the top as fast as I could. Called my wife when I was hiking out of there. Like this shit really freaked me out. And uh, my my day pack was down in there because I slipped it off, you know, when I was doing that final sneak. So I had to go back the next day and get it. And I carried guns. <laughs> yeah. It just freaked me out. That's the only time I've ever run in a situation because I thought for sure I was, you know, he was charging me, but he wasn't. He was just letting any bears in the vicinity know that he was coming in and he's taking over. Yeah. Um, and I just misinterpreted it like I because it was right at me. So I'm thinking he's he's coming. I don't know how he could see me, but he's coming for me. Um, and he wasn't. It was just a, like a bluff charge trying to scatter any lesser bears that were in the area. <laughs> yeah, that I'd have had to change my diaper. After that. <laughs> oh, shit. You couldn't have put a pin up my butt with a sledgehammer. I don't think <laughs> really puckered up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It goes back to that thing where, you know, with enough whiskey around the campfire, I was like, ah, man, I'll stand my ground. I'll roundhouse that bear as he comes in, you know, but hey, gosh, the reality really? of the situation, I, I pretty much stepped on a black bear one time. Cause it was, uh, it was raining. It was real windy. And I'm kind of, I was, I was bow hunting. 
uh, or I, I was I was elk hunting, kind of working side heel, and this bear was sleeping, uh, just a black bear sleeping in some taller grass on the on the side of the hill, and because of the <laughs> rain, he couldn't see or uh-huh. smell or hear me, and gosh, I just about stepped on him, and he jumps up and looks at me with kind of an oh shit look, and I look at him with an oh shit look, and we both kind of <laughs> turned around and went in opposite directions. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, that kind of stuff happens. Do you have do you have any other like uh safety tips or or just tips in general for when when you're bow hunting for uh well I don't care what you're hunting if if sure. you're bow hunting and you're in grizzly country is there is there something in Ron's mind that you do differently that you wouldn't do uh if if you were not hunting grizzly country? Gotcha. Um, for me, I don't let you know the presence of grizzly bears dissuade me from hunting anywhere um something i will try to avoid um best i can is if there's a there's a kill somewhere um and there's birds on it squawking lots of noise the bears are going to key in on that and they're going to be there in the fall that's just like i said it's the most dangerous thing you can do is is jump a bear on a on his food source that mm-hmm. he he needs to get fat for you know for hibernation um so i don't let him dissuade me from hunting anywhere but i'm very aware of the situation that i'm going in um it's just like anything else it's kind of have a plan going in um hopefully you won't need to use your plan but but just just have one and whatever you're using just practice 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 getting it into into service in that one to two second range. And like me, I, I scary bear spray. It's always on my right side on my hip. I don't, I wasn't com- comfortable reaching up to my chest and pulling it out to spray. Cause on my hip, I could just reach down. I could thumb that safety off and I could shoot from my hip. You know, I could start fogging the bear as I'm also pulling it out. Um, yeah. so if it's on your chest, that's a little harder to do. Um, and, and but I feel like it's, it's just, more risky. You got you got yeah, it's a little more risky. You just you have to be able to get it into into action quickly. That friend Adam, I don't know if he's a freaking predator magnet or what. So this is two years after he lost his first elk, um, in pretty much the same spot, September thirtieth, last hour of the season. His wife and him go you know running down off this um, gravel road. And there's, it's just a, lots of uh, white bark pine there. It's just a bear magnet. So he had his bow in his left hand, a beagle tube in his right. And as they're going down this hill, his wife mentioned, don't forget to look for bears. You know, it's just something we say all the time because it always happens. And sure. Anyway, so he thought, yeah, I better. So he reached up and he put his bugle tube under his left armpit you know, the same arm that's holding the bow. And as he dropped his hand back down, he saw a cub um, really close, like within 15 yards. And the cub made noise as he's scooting away. And he just continued his hand down, grabbed his gun and shot one time. And the sow was seven yards, um, hit her, rocked her. And he didn't have to shoot again. I mean, he had another dozen plus rounds in there that he could have shot, but that, that turned her away. It stopped the charge. 
Um, he said it was just like she appeared from the ground. It's just all of a sudden she's there and, and super close. But he said if he would have had to reach up to a chest rig where, you know, some people have it on their final harness, you know, they can have a they can have a gun there or bear spray. Mm-hmm. He does not think he would have been able to get a shot off or get spray into action. Well, I imagine so in, I in carried stuff on my hip. Well, I imagine in Cody, Wyoming, with uh, the history of that area, it's it's a lot more in vogue to carry things on your hip. And you guys can like do the the fastest draw in the west kind of thing on that that bear spray, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Now I I love that uh, right there in Cody that old west museum they've got there. <laughs> yep. They, they've still got I've that right. I've museums in one pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Bullet holes in the door to the bar and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah, it's great, great all spot. So, so your recommendation is is right there on the hip, basically for that reason. And, right. and lots and lots of practice. What what yep. about what about like uh, a lot of us go out, um, you know, we, we leave the trail or get out of the truck at four o'clock in the morning. It's still dark and, and you're trying to get in a few miles prior to sunlight. Is that something that is inherently more dangerous in grizzly country than somewhere else? If that I makes don't sense. think it's any more dangerous. It just seems like it because it's dark and you don't have the you don't have the comfort of visibility. Yeah. Even though most most bear charges or anything come from basically right under your feet, mm-hmm. and you're talking about twenty yards, twenty thirty yard range. Um, that's when most instances happen. Um, and honestly, I don't remember the last time that uh, I heard of anybody getting attacked in the dark. Yeah, I, um, I, I I brought that point up. Somebody was asking about that, and I, I'm like, you know, I never hear of it happening in the dark. But right. there is something to that, especially, um, you know, when you're hiking up into into a drainage or something, and you think, man, it is like pitch black. There's no moon. There's cloud cover. Um, you know, I'm using a headlamp or whatever, but you just kind of feel so handicapped. Uh, and, and so I could see that being an issue, but you're right. It just, it really doesn't happen. It's not like something that's, that's frequent, you know? Right. And it, you know, it just messes with your head a little because you look at any shadows, you know, you have a headlamp on and swing your head around once in a while and just look around and you'll see these shadows and your movement of your head makes it look like shadows move. So I don't know. It's a, it's a adrenaline kick. That's for sure. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking crazy. of being, Speaking of being fast, um, last year I got into a, a herd of elk, pretty good bull in it. Um, they were out in this little clearing, but they were moving across. So I dropped back and I started trotting through the woods underneath of them. Um, and it's right where I had an encounter um, with a large grizzly earlier than that, you know, earlier in the season. And anyway, so I was trotting along and um, God, I, I came around this, this one tree and all I saw was bear, you know, big one right in front of me, less than 20 yards and put my bows in my right hand and it just hit the ground and that spray was out and it was just reflex. You know, it was just because I guess practicing, um, using the spray, um, it came out so quick that I think it was in my hand before the bear even reacted to me. And he was facing the other way and that's the way he went, but it just illustrates yeah. how quick that it needs to be like second nature, whatever you use. That's a great point. I, I want to hammer that point home. Just, just being second nature and you, 
and and how how you get that way is through practice and use and and I know that sounds so clicheish or whatever but I don't think a lot of people it's just like you know that you hear a lot of bow hunters they talk about how many times they shoot right or you know I, I have I have friends that shoot every single day now granted mm-hmm. a lot of them are they're like bow hunting enthusiasts or they're bow shooting uh, archery enthusiasts I should say um, where, where for me, I'm a hunting enthusiast and I love to bow hunt. Um, yep. and, and so I, I don't do it as a hobby. I don't do archery as a hobby outside of that, but I do love to bow hunt and I love to shoot my bow. Uh, uh-huh. but man, I don't shoot it every day. Uh, and, and, but these guys do. And, and the, one of the things that, that gives them a real advantage is exactly what you just said. That second nature, when, when they've got a screaming bull elk in front of them, um, it's not like something that they really have to think about. They put their bow up uh, and, and get a get an arrow installed, you know, where it ne- needs to go. And so there's right. that, that same concept is applied when we're talking about, you know, whether you're going to choose to carry bear spray or, or a pistol, which, by the way, what kind of pistol do you, do you recommend? Um, I have a Glock 10 mil, and that's what my buddy Adam used when he, when he shot that sow. Um, and... I don't know. We shoot the 220 grain Buffalo bore ammunition, mm-hmm. um, you know, practice with whatever you want, but come hunting season that, you know, we carry the stuff with a little more knockdown power, but yeah, yeah that, uh, I mean, and I've heard, you know, a couple other instances and somebody used a 10 mil and just had good results. But again, I don't think it really matters. Um, as long as you're comfortable using, like if, if somebody's, comfortable with a 357 a nine mil or whatever yeah i'd rather see him be carrying that than carrying something they're not as familiar with um yeah because you know i don't know chances are that it's it's not going to be needed or not going to be an issue anyway so just use what you're comfortable with i'm on the 10 mil train like you are so that's that's probably probably pretty sound advice. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's great, man. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit here and, uh, talk about, I always like when, when I've got somebody like you on that has a lot of experience, you've done a lot of hunting in a lot of different places and notched many, many tags. Uh, you've got that kind of, uh, you were super humble kind of given your, your background when we kicked this podcast off. And, um, I, I don't think people realize the magnitude of the kind of hunter you are. And so I want people to realize that. Um, I just so, shoot arrows and try to have animals run into them. I don't know. <laughs> it works out every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> every once in a while. Every once in a while, like every year. Um, and so, uh, I, I just want people to know that as I start asking some of these questions, but before I get to any of those for, for some of the newer hunters out there listening, um, can you give us your perspective as to what has changed the most in your mind over the last few decades when it comes to hunting? Hunting or bow hunting? Let's stick to bow hunting. Let's talk bow hunting. Um, I'm saying the technology craze. It really doesn't even have to do with um, bow hunting. I guess it's for any bow hunting. The ability mm-hmm. to, to sit at your house and plan a lot of things and scout from the comfort of your own home or your own phone um there's just so much available for the for the new hunter um i don't know and my opinion is people can listen to these podcasts watch tv shows whatever um i just wouldn't follow anybody's advice 
um, soundly. I would like pick and choose and just try to absorb what everybody's saying and then just adapt it to your own personal style. I love that point, Ron, and here's why. Um, I, I do a series called The School of September, and it's it's all about talking, uh, you know, tips and strategies for calling in elk and and uh, and bow hunting elk in September, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I, I do caution people on, and and it it doesn't matter if we're talking about September archery hunting or bear hunting in the spring or whatever, is everybody has a, a different thing or a different way that makes them uniquely successful and it usually has a lot to do with their their determination level their um, their obviously skill has something something to do with it uh, it has to do with their personality um, and whether they're hunting alone or with with a party or a, you know just a couple of folks or you know all these all these different things that come together to make somebody consistently successful and the point to whether whether we're talking a regular episode like this one or that very specific School of September podcast series that, that we do, my my goal is to always have everybody take a little bit of what makes sense from that particular hunter that's talking at that time and take what what makes sense to them. There's no one size fits all, and and I think that there's a lot of content out there that tries to create this sense of one size fits all. And, and I, I love what you said there. It's that that doesn't exist. So take what you can take those nuggets and, and have like this uh-huh. toolbox in your mind. And you're just adding these different tools. Some things are going to work well for you and some things aren't. So I, I appreciate you saying that. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. It's just persistence is probably the number one factor for me. Um, I just, I don't like to give up. Um, I've been pretty successful, but it wasn't always that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's the problem now is people think they're going to have, you know, excellent success the minute that they go out and yeah, they have a lot more information to draw on at their fingertips. They do have a little bit better technology that than we had when we started out. Um, so after 30, 40 years or so, it's easy for us to say, well, I just use my instinct, you know, and go with those, but the people just starting out, they don't have that yet. Mm -hmm. So they, they really need some advice, um, starting out. And like I said, after they get out there and start figuring things out, they'll develop their own style and they might use tips from here, there, everywhere. But uh, I guess my, my personal one is I just don't quit and I adapt to whatever the situation is. I might go in thinking I'm going to call in a big bull today and then I might see one and he beds down out in the open somewhere. Well, I just went from calling to, to stock. Yeah. I mean, just in a flip of a switch, just that fast. So um, just be adaptable is the biggest thing. Yeah. Be adaptable. And I love, I love that. Uh, the, the, the concept of what you were just saying in regards to, um, when when you are a new hunter and that instinct has is not yet developed and you I, I think that there is this mindset out there for a lot of the younger hunters that have that don't have any experience and they're just getting into it and they're really excited and they think that if they listen to you know the school of September series or they watch all these YouTube videos or they follow so and so on social media that they're going to be experts and what what they don't right. understand is all that is doing is providing you some foundational concepts to take into the field to develop your hunting skills and instinct on your own 
And I think sure. that that's important. I think that that's important because, you know, I, I, I love talking to, to guys like you that just have, you know, uh, all this, this just mountains of experience and there's no way for me to really, you know, pull it out of your mind and put it into my mind in a way that makes sense and makes me on your same level, right? All I can do is listen to your stories and and take what I learn and try to apply it in ways that make sense to my personality and my style of hunting and all those kind of things. And uh, yeah, it's just good stuff. That's why I do this, man. That's why I love talking oh, yeah. about it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, every little bit that somebody hears or gets to do, yeah, I just suggest they listen to everything, do everything they can to get a you know more experience. Whether if they don't have a tag, but their buddy does somewhere, go with them. You know, the more situations you can put yourself in, the more that's gonna help your success. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, it might just be like, well, I can only evening hunt. Well, make it a point to go evening hunt every day after work if you can. Or I only have weekends. Well, in, but in my areas, you know, clear across the state. Well, frick, drive all night. Um, you'll be tired the next day hunting, but at least you're out hunting. You know, you just got to make the time and take the time because the more the more time that you're out there, the more odds you go up for your success. For sure. For sure. Yeah, great point, man. Uh, what, uh, let's see, we, we covered the tips for new hunters there. And uh, how about specific to bow hunting? Can you tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are with in in terms of like the technology of bows and archery and the equipment and how it's changing all the time? Uh, do you have do you have a take on that and maybe recommendation? It, because it can be daunting for a new hunter that knows nothing about an archery setup to walk into a bow shop and, oh, yeah. and all this technical data and information is coming at them. Um, how do you simplify it for for new hunters? Um. I just suggest whether they have one nearby or they have to drive for two hours, find a a pro shop where you can go. And if it's a decent shop, they will, you know, let you shoot some different bows and just, you know, find one for you that is most comfortable. And um, I don't know, you know, there's just so much information and, and bows are kind of like trucks and people like Ford, Dodge, whatever. And it's, it's like, you know, Hoyt and Bowtech and, and Matthews. So just all kinds of stuff to choose from. But having somebody with a lot of experience kick you off and get you the knowledge of the equipment is going to help. Um, the other thing is don't get so hung up on equipment, like having to have the newest and the best just to fit in with people or to say you have it. Um, yeah, good point. Again, it, it's better to be confident if you're shooting a 20 year old bow and you have tons of confidence in it um, versus taking out a, a new bow that you've only sh- shot a few times. I'd take the old one every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm fortunate. You know, I, I do get a, get a new bow pretty much every year. Um, but if, if I didn't, I'm personally, I'm not going to go spend the money every year to get a new one. Um, Um, Yeah. I mean, most people, that's just not realistic for us, you know? No, no, you just, I guess, take, take what you take, what you have and, and make the best of it. Um, I'm a firm believer. Like if, if you're persistent, I know technology definitely helps as far as mechanics of a bow, but um, I hunted for a few years with a recurve and, 
I was pretty much the same hunter I was without it and had the same level of success. It's just, I don't know, the equipment helps, but it's more in somebody's personality and instinct, I guess, that's Mm -hmm. what's going to bring success. I love it. Ron, I can keep this going for a long time. I uh, <laughs> I really like talking to you, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, what's what do you have uh, cooking for this season? What what do you have coming up this fall, hunt wise? Um, well, I just passed on the opportunity to go back to Kodiak, Alaska again, um, mainly because I have a Wyoming moose tag, and it's probably the the last one I'm ever going to have. Um, I had a tag back in 2000, and shot a nice bull and this time whether i shoot a bigger one or a smaller one i am just going to enjoy the ride that's going to um, be a great hunt our, yeah archery season for moose is the whole month of september and then the month of october um is rifle season so my plan is to hunt the first week or so in september with my bow and then i'm elk hunting i'm not giving up my elk season yeah. and then uh, october comes i'll take my bow back down there during rifle season and finish it out and may not shoot the biggest and best on the mountain, but hopefully it's a pretty good representative animal and I'll just be thrilled with it. I, I, I'm very suspicious that, uh, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to disappoint <laughs> this year. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I'm and pretty, honestly, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I just, honestly, I, I won't be, um, because I don't know. I don't let, my success i guess determine what i get out of a hunt or um you know most of the pleasures from the journey and i used to think that that's just something all sucky hunters say <laughs> it's not about <laughs> killing something but honestly the older you get it's more about you know to me about um how things how things happen and success just being defined a little bit differently by you know, your effort, um, your appreciation of everything that you get to see and do every day and just the fact to be able to do it. Now, I'm busted mm-hmm. up old man, but I still go out when I can. Sometimes my back won't let me, but um, other times I, I feel pretty good and I hit it really hard. Yeah, that's great. Great advice, Ron. Well, I, I think that a lot of people listening to this, um, are, are going to be the, you know, they're, they're going to appreciate hearing a lot of what you talked about in, and we're also the, I, I think going to always look at, you know, is it, does our hunting and, and the, and the amount of years that we have left and, and everything else that's kind of, you know, builds this, this life of a, of a hunter. Um, we, we can only hope to have the kind of hunting adventures in life and, and, uh, success that you've had over the years. And I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us on the show. I'd love to have you back on in the future. Are you? Uh, would you be game for coming back on and telling us about your moose hunt this uh, this fall? Absolutely. Hit awesome. me up anytime, or better yet, just come to Cody for a visit, and we'll go hit the hills a little bit. I'll do buy the podcast here. The, I, I would love that. Uh, and so that, and I'll, I'll buy Cassie's, and <laughs> then we'll go. Sounds we'll spend good. some time in the hills. So. <laughs> Ron, I, right. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for your time. This has been uh, this has been super awesome for me. Good deal. Appreciate it, Jim. You made it all the way to the end. 
thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.